I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. Today's guests are Shreya and Colin Lay, who are the co-founders and lawyer humans at Lay Roots, a law firm bringing a new approach to asset protection, estate planning, business, and intellectual property law. Shreya and Colin, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Ooh, we oh, coordinated. That was great. Yeah. That was very yeah. coordinated. <laughs> Shreya and Colin, let's start off uh, talking about what's going on in your backyard right now. You're you're in Seattle or near Seattle. There's mm-hmm. obviously a lot going on in, in Seattle and Washington in general right now. Can you tell us a little bit what, what's going on on the ground and how it's impacted you personally? Sure. Um, so there are there's coronavirus, which Seattle has been kind of a hotbed for coronavirus cases, and we've been somewhat on lockdown for four months now, about. And then there are obviously the protests and the occupied protests uh, holding their ground in Capitol Hill. Although I think they may have relinquished, or they're going to they're going to take it back is what the news is saying today so yeah yeah um personally we've joined in a couple of the protests we've been monitoring what's happening around the city we support a lot of the changes that people are proposing um, as far as police brutality and and whatnot but as far as the coronavirus you know I don't know that that much has impacted us personally on that front or business-wise yet. I mean, we were we were ready for the changes that happened. I mean, this is kind of like what we had always wanted in a way. Um, you know, we were always telling people, it's like, we don't have to meet in person. We could meet by video. We could do a Zoom call. And, you know, before the response was often no or what's Zoom? How do I get into Zoom? All these issues. And now it's like, oh yeah, Zoom. Like all of a sudden all those issues have dropped off. Everyone's happy to meet by Zoom. And yeah. And we feel also that we are set up personally in a way that's great for self-isolation because right bef- at the end of last year, right before the fall, I guess, of last year, we moved out kind of to the countryside from the city. And so now we have all this space and we're like, oh, this is kind of idyllic. We'll go on these like long walks in the country and have this flexibility. I personally love not having to commute. That's really great. And um, so, yeah, there are, there are things. We have cooking projects going on, you know. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And let's talk a little bit about lay roots. And, and I want to talk more about the, uh, the future you anticipated, you know, arriving a little bit early but to start off and to provide our listeners some context do you mind sharing your story with us tell us about how the two of you met and how you eventually created lay roots together sure i think a lot of people would be surprised knowing us now to learn how we originally met but we uh, met on on the greek islands Uh, we were doing a study abroad trip in law school in rhodos greece and 
Colin was drunk at the pool and I was just arriving for the study abroad trip <laughs> and he kind of made himself made his way over to the side of the pool to introduce himself and broke some glass <laughs> in the process and that was how we met. <laughs> Sounds like a stylish entrance. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then how we started the law firm is actually a bit disputed between the two of us. I maintain that I started the law firm alone and he was simply supporting me and he maintains that we started it together at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was like, you know, there was a camping trip. We were talking about how she was unhappy with what she was doing. I said, oh, it'd be great if we started a firm together. (laughs) And next thing you know, there we were. This, this is the next Zuckerberg Winklevoss twins uh, expose. Yeah. We're, we're, we're looking forward to a a, a book covering this yeah. controversy. Yeah, I've been researching how to dilute his equity in our, <laughs> you know, layer So, in that, uh, l- let's go with your version of the story, Shreya. Uh, when when you came up with the idea for the the firm, um, what what were you looking to to accomplish, and 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 how did uh, Colin helped shape that that vision. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, Lay Roots would not be what it is today without Colin's contribution. My vision for the firm was simply that I was unhappy with what I was currently doing. I was unhappy with the way that a lot of law firms were treating their employees and, and lawyers. And I hated the billable hour. I thought there was a better way to do that. And so I wanted to start my own firm as a way to get away from like the traditional law firm and what that traditional law firm um, offers to its clients and employees, that interaction. I didn't feel like I fit. And many of the other aspects of the brand and the law firm wouldn't be what it is without our partnership, to be honest. Like the whole lawyer-human concept, all of that came about after we joined forces. <laughs> okay, so Colin, sounds like the, the story's softening a little bit here. It sounds like you, you, did have, <laughs> you did have an impact here. What, what, what drew you maybe to the I, I, idea, tell me what led to this idea of lawyer-humans. There, there's a lot to dig in here, into here, but I think that's one interesting concept yeah. it's a term I at least hadn't heard prior to becoming aware of the work the two of you do what what's that mean to you so it, I mean it kind of started accidentally uh, when I was creating new business cards you know and I was going through the little template of what you put and then we were getting to you know occupation title whatever you know I put lawyer and to me that didn't really feel like an identity like lawyer whoever and so I tacked on but the But also inaccurate as owners of the business, right? Like just lawyer. Um, and then managing partner didn't feel right either because we weren't managing anything at that point. We had just started the law firm. Right. And also it's so stuffy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so lawyer human ended up on the card and it really ended up being um, a term that helped uh, define the, that vision that, that Shreya was talking about. Yeah. So why, why human? It sounds like you got lawyer down and then what, (laughs) what were you trying to round out with the description of? Yeah, I think lawyers often position themselves, at least at that time, I think it's softened in the years since we started the law firm, but 
as other, right? As these, as on a pedestal, as behind this barrier. And so lawyers often position themselves as different from the humans that they interact with. And we took issue with that. One, we didn't want to hire an attorney like that. And so we figured other people out there wouldn't want to hire attorneys that seemed so distant from them and so not relatable. So there was that aspect of it. We wanted to make people feel comfortable calling us, but we, part of the reason that I didn't feel like I fit in in big law is that I didn't want to divorce the human side of me and my personality from my practice of law. And so I think that is kind of where it came from that. And I think we were listening often to that killer's song. Are we human or are we dancer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great song. Great song. So <laughs> I think that played into it as well, coming up with the that, idea. <laughs> that kind of places your founding timeline in a, in a bit of a time capsule. <laughs> now, what I, I'm curious what your perspective is on why so many lawyers kind of have that that almost you know persona or or facade of of, of being something other than 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 human and i, I think the covid 19 uh, pandemic and and some of the responses i've heard from both lawyers and clients has been enlightening exactly on that front where where people talk about the fact that they're seeing a, a more human side of their lawyers and that they actually really appreciate that whether it's a kid wandering into a Zoom call or, or just being, feel like maybe indirectly you're being invited into their, their homes and seeing a glimpse of what their, mm -hmm. their home life looks like through a, through a Zoom call. And, and similarly, it feels like lawyers feel like they've got permission to let their guard down a little bit and be a bit more real. And this, this just feels like a, a great step forward in terms of making lawyers a bit more relatable and a bit more accessible. But I'm curious what your perspective on that trend is if, if we can call that a trend and and maybe sure. why you think uh the default the the status quo prior to COVID-19 was so different I don't know if you have um something to say but for me I think it is there are several aspects to it I think one lawyers are often dealing with other people's emotions and problems and so there might be some aspect to it where we don't want to take those emotions home with us necessarily or you know there's this idea of distancing ourselves from our clients a bit but i think that there's also culturally in the legal profession this image of the lawyer as you know the arbiter of justice and this third party unbiased opinion where we argue both sides and we have to see things from all different sides of the argument and we can't have biases or opinions when in reality we all have biases and opinions and so i don't think it's possible to be that unbiased third party but i think there's also an aspect to it where when we were in law school, both of us were not traditional law students in that we'd been working and out in the real world prior to going to law school. And I think there are many attorneys who go straight through from college to law school to working in this um, law firm job. And they 
haven't necessarily experienced many of the things in their own life that their clients are going through. And so I think there's some facade that gets put up in that as well as where we are afraid to admit maybe sometimes that we don't know certain things or we can't relate. And in that we also, and we're overcorrecting, right? By appearing to be more professional. Like a, a compensation mechanism almost. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things that kind of go into it, but there's definitely the culture of being this like unbiased third party. And then there's also this idea of like, well, I haven't experienced this and I can't admit that. <laughs> so what's that look like on the ground, so to speak? Can you tell us what being human looks like when you're, you're actually interacting with, with the clients and what this kind of deliberate choice to be a bit more real and a bit more authentic looks like? I think one is telling our stories. Yeah, I mean, it's it's being concerned with their um, feelings, objectives. Um, someone told us before that, you know, clients, they don't have a legal problem. They have a personal problem that's yep. exacerbated by a legal issue. Right. Um, and so focusing on that side of thing rather than just, you know, here's this legal issue that I can solve and this is how I'll do it. I've, I've done it for so long. Um, connecting more on their personal side and their emotions and, and what's happening in their lives. Um, seems like an easier way to do things for yeah. me. Uh, and I think it's also because we do things, I mean, partially because we do things flat fee, we feel comfortable proactively reaching out to our clients oftentimes. Um, even just to check in and say, how are things going? Because we're not concerned about something being billable. Um, and so I think that plays into it as well. We had a client once tell me that they had switched from our law firm to some other like big law firm because they were like a startup. They had decided to raise venture money and we were no longer the appropriate fit for them. And they said, you know, what I see as the biggest difference between these two is that this other law firm really only reaches out to me if I owe them money. Right. And, <laughs> or if there's like some specific like legal issue or paperwork that has come across their desk, they don't just reach out and ask us how we're doing and how our business is doing. It, 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 I find that so surprising. And as a, a, a business owner myself, I, I, I find that to be such a recurring pattern with so many of the the lawyers I've used over the course of building Clio, even on a personal level, you know, the first lawyer that helped me with a, my first will, I never hear from them again, once I'm done that that one seemingly transactional bit of business, but you realize, you know, my, my wills and estates lawyer, my, my life has changed over the last 20 years, stay in touch. And there's probably some revisions that need to be done in my will. My, you talked about a, a startup, a startup, is constantly evolving and changing and has constantly evolving legal needs and demands and just staying in touch and being, I, I think you phrased it well, Colin, like looking at yourself as a solution provider to the various problems that that startup will encounter is, is just maintaining a dialogue. And yet it seems like finding out about the problems that you can assist with is a matter of maintaining that dialogue. And yet so many firms seem to 
not do a great job of that really basic thing of just staying in touch. Yeah. And it, it's not just people that are paying us money, right? I think it extends to other things as well. We recently had someone reach out to us that we couldn't help. They had an asset protection issue. We couldn't help them. But we reached out to a number of other attorneys we know to try and find them someone that can help them. And proactively reached out and said, here's what's happening. Can you actually help this person? Like the level, I think it surprises a lot of attorneys that we reach out to when we express a level of concern of, well, we don't just want to hand this person off to you and give them your information. Before we do that, we want to know if you can actually help them. Otherwise, right. like this person is just going on this wild goose chase and nobody likes that. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you think about maybe extracting some of the learnings that you've had uh, from, uh, from building lay roots, can you, can you tell us maybe a good place to draw from is that the 2019 Clio Cloud Conference, you gave a, an excellent and really well-received presentation on building a unique firm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what makes your practice unique, some of the challenges you faced building your firm, and, and what's some of the learnings that you might extract from building your firm and, and share out with our audience? Sure. I think one of the challenges we faced when we first started was the reception from other attorneys. Uh, we received hate mail within our first year, probably, of having our law firm from another attorney who said that we were a disgrace to the practice of law because of um, there was a... Northwest, the Northwest Lawyer magazine did just like a little back of the magazine profile on us. And the picture I had submitted was me in with my snowboard. And we talked about being lawyer humans. And he felt compelled <laughs> upon reading that to personally email me and tell me how much he hated us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so I think that was probably some of the challenges we faced and also in our own growth and branding uh there we have made missteps and i think that was part of what our cleo cloud conference talk was about is that we often overcorrected um in one way or the other either being too casual or too formal we struggled with finding who our audience was we tried a bunch of things before landing on what works for us. And I think that might be where a lot of new business owners in general, but lawyers being a slightly more conservative struggle with is the idea that you can try something and it not work out and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Can, can you tell us a little bit about some of the, iterations you went through and, and maybe what some of the, the failures were and, and how you eventually found an audience for your, your services, that, that pr process of what, what I like to describe to as, as finding product market fit, right? Like you, you yeah. kind of have to go through some iterations and evolve the product to find that product market fit. What did that journey look like for you? Well, I know what we ended up with, uh, the, the, place we landed was to help people who had similar problems that we experienced as we were building a business and our life was changing. Um, 
but to get there, you know, we, Shreya started through my suggestion at being a, uh, an attorney for life coaches. Oh, that was not a good fit for me. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was all, uh, business focused. Um, yeah. Online businesses, a lot of them. And then, um, yeah, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. Apparently I didn't demonstrate the right, <laughs> the right, uh, gusto and vigor for the life coaching industry that I needed to. So, yeah, but it was, it was, yeah, mostly I think focused on, yeah, different areas of law. A lot of yeah. times, um, we thought about maybe doing a divorce practice because you know, we, <laughs> he did. we met an attorney who was like, Oh, we, you know, I'm, I might retire soon and I can hand this off to you. And it's like, Oh, well, this is a great idea. Yeah. It was, uh, there was some shiny object syndrome with like uh, different practice areas. There was also, um, so at first I think we corrected to being like too casual. So we were like, Oh, we don't need to have, have a whole lot of formality. Um, so we're going to be really casual attorneys, but we realized that the people that we were attracting were not the people that we could actually help with what we were providing. And so we, and we got a feedback back from clients, potential clients, just that they did not like how casual we were. So and, we and I'm curious what specifically when they, when they said too casual, were you able to put your finger on exactly what that was it, it, it's a bit of an amorphous concept yeah. but um i think it was in part casual approach to um how we dressed and maybe how we spoke or interacted met with clients i mm -hmm. think it was both of those things really that was mostly the focus but a lot of it was focused around like how we dressed and they were like if we're going to be trusting you with this amount of money then we expect our attorneys to be dressed professionally sort of a thing and it's not like we were you know hanging out in our bathing suits or something but you know they didn't want jeans and uh flannel shirt essentially right okay <laughs> um and, and and so some some of those iterations just in terms of how you're presenting yourself were what helped you ultimately create that that product market mm -hmm. fit and, and you started getting did you were you able to make other pivots in terms of finding that audience and where did you i'm wondering did you find a moment where you found okay we're getting some traction here let's double down on exactly what we're doing here and start to build uh yeah. you know real audience yeah i think there were several points at which we couldn't identify where that happened right one was with the lawyer human business card we went to a conference and people started coming up to us that had received our business card and bringing others with them to say these are the lawyer humans these are the people i was telling you about um and so that getting that feedback from our potential clients and other people or um was we were like we should stick with this we should build this out um, so there was that point. And then we did this podcast. Well, we're still doing a podcast, but we started a podcast to try and find our voice. And we were recording five minute episodes every day. And the goal was to do it for an entire year. We didn't make it. And, but part of why we gave up on it was that we started feeling a little bit lost in our messaging and like nobody was listening and it wasn't doing anything. But what we realized coming out of it after reflection after we quit mm -hmm. was that 
the thing that people really enjoyed about the podcast and in hearing from us and often brought up to us were that uh, we're partners in life and business that we're talking about building this business together and the different aspects of that. And so that helped us realize that maybe our audience is other people like us, that people seem to really enjoy and relate to that um, aspect of our story. So we should double down on that. And so I, I think there were several inflection points, I guess, throughout while we've been trying things where when we receive that positive feedback and people seem to be relating to it that we actually um, can help, then we sort of just try and double down on that. And sometimes it takes us a few months to realize that's what's happening, but we eventually get around to it. <laughs> and I'm curious for, for you, Colin, was there something you look back on as a, an aha moment as, as well, or is it overlap significantly uh, with, with Shreya's perspective of kind of how you built that product market fit and if it felt like there was a, a tipping point in realizing that fit with your firm? Um, I mean, it, it, it certainly overlaps. I mean, there were those, um, yeah, those moments when we realized that talking about our story, there's other people that relate to that as well. Um, but we've kind of, one of the big things I've thought about is uh, some of the, our offerings. You know, we've offered things before that weren't in line with what our, our vision was or, you know, what would be. Yeah, you're way more like the product of development kind of person as far as like creating our legal products yeah so we've been able to there's been moments when we say okay we're just not going to do these types mm -hmm. of cases anymore or not work with these people that don't fit within that profile so like an example of that would just be like you know the really cheap will um cheap will package basic type thing so we've instead focused on people that want to have um you know more a private um, speedy, easy estate plan, more trust-based. So we said, okay, anybody who's not looking for that, we have a great referral for you. We can send you to them, but yeah. we're going to mm -hmm. focus on people who have this certain goal. And, and it's easy, you know, looking backwards to um, revenue and clients we'd work with to realize that yeah. we weren't really doing that many of those anyway. So it's, it's the easier way to, to justify kind of leaving leaving something on yeah. the side or he's really good about like getting rid of things like, <laughs> but you know, identifying things like even in our personal life, like he'll be like, we don't use this thing. We should just like get rid of it. Um, but in business as well, I feel like he does that right. Like, well, where he'll say, we really hate doing the cheap well and we should just stop doing it. And then we'll go back and we'll look at, well, okay, how much money have we actually made from doing these types of matters in the last two years? How many clients have reached out to us that want this sort of a thing so um, we try and keep records of uh, and data on that information right and say these are how many matters we've opened um, he recently did this actually with so we were talking earlier about COVID-19 and changes um, about giving up our office space so he was like looked through how many people in the last year did we actually meet in person and rent a conference room for right and how many of like how much of our revenue was devoted to that and um just looking through that and seeing like actually only like let's say one client per month comes in and meets us in person everybody else 
is happy with virtual meetings. Right. So, um, so he's good about about looking into those types of things and that part of our brand and identity, I'd say. Yeah, well, it's music to my ears. We we talk a lot about, you know, both <laughs> within Clio and, and, you know, with law firms making data-driven decision-making. And it can be uh, such a powerful tool to, if you are making a trade-off decision, you might lose some clients, but is, is the upside in focusing your efforts uh, worth giving something up? And uh, sounds like you're the the, the Mary Kondo of uh, of the law firm, and maybe the household too, Colin. Uh, For sure, I I definitely like to hold on to things a bit more than he does. <laughs> but I guess ultimately, especially you know when you're presenting yourself to uh, the the public and talking about your story, you you need a focused message. You can't be everything to to everyone. So it really does mean doubling down on what's working and then cutting the things that, that aren't because it's not just sitting there doing nothing and doing no harm. As I think many people expect, it's actually confusing your message and confusing your audience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think as a consumer, you want to know what you're going to get um, instead of, having no idea like well can this lawyer help me or not like i don't know um and so i think we've made a conscious effort especially over the last two years of continuing to narrow down our messaging on our our website and um and how we talk to people the videos we do for the firm i think are pretty narrowly focused on a couple of different topics so we've been making a conscious effort of also and practicing what we preach where when people call us and ask for something that's not in our wheelhouse, we refer them out um, so that we right. can focus on the things that we actually want to build. And I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that ends up becoming a, a two-way street as well. When you're building that, that referral network, you're in turn building return business from those same referral sources. Yeah, we often do, um, though I think we forget sometimes, or I think as lawyers, a lot of times people forget in general that we're just happy not to do it and to have someone to send this person to who we know will answer the phone, treat them well, give them- Right, um, they're getting their problem taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> Colin's can laughing because this is like the funny <laughs> the part is like the, the biggest hurdle is like, will you answer the phone? Yeah. <laughs> right. My phone call? Well, as, <laughs> as we showed in the legal trends report last year, that's actually a depressingly yeah. low number. Uh, law yeah, firms yeah. are not responsive enough by and large. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, just having a reliable referral source is, uh, or some, yeah. uh, somebody you can refer business to is harder than you think it might be. Um, let, let's shift our discussion to COVID-19 and some of the specific impacts that, that COVID-19 has had on your on your firm. Uh, you know, as we opened the discussion, Colin, you made made a comment that this is kind of the reality that you were maybe unintentionally building for, uh, and, and it feels to me in a lot of ways uh, the future has just arrived early. You know what we thought might eventually happen, like Zoom becoming a a mainstream tool that the average lawyer and the average consumer uh, would be able to plug into with almost no effort is is here maybe years or even 
you know, a decade or more ahead of when we thought that might have happened. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been over COVID-19 and how your practices maybe changed or adapted or, or as the case might be, maybe stayed exactly the same? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've switched everything over now to it's, you know, a Zoom call, video conference or phone call. That's the, the primary option. Um, and before, you know, we were always trying to, we were suggesting that people, like, you don't have to drive, you know, an hour into town and, you know, deal with parking. We could just do this. And, and nobody seemed, really seemed open to it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Colin, just on that point, uh, Shreya mentioned that you did kind of like a data-driven analysis of how many people wanted to come in for those in-person meetings. What, what kind of mix did you see when you suggested to a client, hey, we could do this just as easily over a Zoom call? What percentage kind of went on to insist, no, I'd, I'd rather meet you in person? I think it was probably 10% before were by video. And yeah, the other ones wanted to come in and at least, you know, meet you in person, make sure you're Once, a real person. Yeah. yeah. And then any ongoing meetings after that, they were fine with virtual okay. meetings. Yeah. Interesting. And, so and that first so meeting, you saw 90% of folks say, I want at least the first meeting in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least on, on my end of things, the business. On the sure. business side, it was different. So my business mm-hmm. clients did not care. Some of them, I've never even seen them. They don't even want to do a video conference. They would rather just be on the phone. Um, but on the asset protection side, people wanted that first meeting to be in person oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing that number flipped, I would say, 90%. Um, are fine with video conference and 10% are still insisting on like some sort of in-person interaction. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I, now that we're opening up, I've been hoping that it's going to remain that way. I know we've certainly got some people that are insisting that <laughs> they want to meet in person, but we've also laid out the expectations of our smoothest process is to do this by video. So if you want to meet in person, we can accommodate that, but you know, it might. It might delay things for you. And so I think that's been like some of the changes you were asking about changes we've made. I think that's been some of the changes we've made, our communications. um, So meeting reminders and all of that. And also just like the booking process of like, you're booking this meeting. We've changed everything to be default virtual um, and kind of making it more difficult for people <laughs> to, to book something in person uh, yeah. to discourage that. I'm curious when you see people insisting almost on that first in-person meeting, is it just to get that, that human connection or do their due diligence and make sure you're real and have a real yeah. office? T- tell us I think more so. about that. Because it's it's the people who are insisting on that as well have found us just by Googling or searching. You know, if, if somebody came to us by a referral, they, they've already got that trust built up. But uh, if they just, you know, somebody told them to look into asset protection and they typed asset protection, you know, then they're, they're calling us. And, you know, if they're going to make a significant investment into some asset protection planning, you know, they want to come by and make sure we're real, maybe, you know, check our... Uh, our discipline history, if we have a discipline history, do a background check, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. 
And if we look ahead to how client expectations are maybe going to be permanently shifted or how they might evolve beyond the immediate COVID-19 crisis, uh, do you have any forecasts or, or any projections of where you think things might be headed? Well, I think um, for us in Washington, at least on the estate planning side, um, things are going to get easier in October. Um, at that point, people will be able to electronically notarize documents and notarize them remotely. Mm -hmm. So the, the, you know, the need to sign something in person in front of a notary is going to go away. So that will certainly be more helpful. Um, they let us do it for a moment and, you know, during the, the, the bigger lockdown, but now they've said, no, we've got to go back to, to in-person. And will that apply yeah. to documents like wills as well? The, except for the will. It's yeah. every, everything but the will. Because the will, the will has okay. to be witnessed as well. Right. And so your people are being exposed to other folks outside of their, their bubble regardless, which I have a whole rant about, but you know, that's, <laughs> that can be for a different time. Um, but I think client expectations are going to include being able to request some sort of virtual or remote meeting. Mm -hmm. From here on out, I, I think especially people are predicting this is just going to be in waves, the lockdowns. It's yeah. not going to be that all of a sudden things are opened up and it's fine. But I think people are also getting comfortable with the idea of doing some sort of video conference or virtual meeting. And Absolutely. so I think they're going to expect that, that I don't want to drive 45 minutes and pay for parking and spend an hour meeting and then 45 minutes back. I want to be able to do this at my convenience from my home or from wherever I work. And so um, I think that's going to play a bigger role in people's expectations of when they're interacting with attorneys as well. And uh, taking and making use of things like online file storage and DocuSign and things like that. Um, I think people will are more comfortable with it now and will kind of insist on it in many ways. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think what was maybe forward looking, you know, four months ago in terms of the technologies a firm might employ to deliver its legal mm -hmm. services are becoming table stakes going forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had a, we, I hired an attorney um, late last year for a, a traffic ticket which was completely innocent but <laughs> so i hired a, an attorney to to handle the matter and you know i got a referral for one person and i had um assistant at the time had called to just get some more information and they said well he is going to have to call himself and you know we only take check you got to mail that in right all this stuff and then i i looked around for the guy who had all the, the great reviews online i was able to hire him pay him online i never had to talk with anyone i got email updates and you know it was the smoothest thing ever and yeah I, you know. yeah that's the new reality finding people online yeah. and the expectation that you can do everything online and that you can do it asynchronously as well through email or text message and 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 not have to have a in-person meeting or a, a big phone call at least for some types of cases that's the new the new client expectation yeah. 
I mean, even with some of our asset protection and estate planning um, clients, which some of them are, are larger matters for our firm, uh, people are happy to communicate via text. That's how they would like to be reminded of things. They, and I'm talking across age groups, like not just someone who's a millennial, right? So these are people who are our age. There are people who are in the baby, baby boomer age range. Like they would prefer to be texted. Um, yeah. and communicated with in, in other ways other than just phone calls. Absolutely. So Shrey and Colin, maybe as a parting bit of advice for any members of our audience that are looking to start their own firm, you've gone through the, the journey, you've gone all the way from <laughs> reality and staring the, the blank canvas of a business card in the face uh, to, <laughs> to, to finding some really great product market fit and finding an audience for your legal services and the way you deliver those legal services. What are some, some parting words of advice for anyone that is maybe thinking about taking that, that plunge? Yeah, for me, I would say to embrace being a business owner over being a lawyer. Um, so if you're starting a law firm, you have to learn the business side of things if you're yeah. going to be successful, in my opinion at least it'll make your life a lot easier and better to do that. And so that would definitely be my advice is like learn about marketing, finance, and how to control those things. Yeah, and on, on the marketing side, I'm, my tip for people is trying to be the best lawyer is not going to bring in clients, especially in these times, um, you know, that's defining on who is the best and the greatest. Um, is is not a, a an action uh, a plan right. that's gonna to bring in clients and the easiest I think uh, approach to marketing is to just talk about your own story talk about um, your journey uh, that's usually the easiest things people can talk about if they want to talk about themselves and then yeah. clients will see overlap they'll see the emotional overlap the problem overlap and um, you know it's something that anyone can talk about and somebody out there in the world is going to resonate with that and want to hire you as their attorney. Yeah. Not yeah. everyone will, but some enough will that you'll be able to build a business. So. <laughs> well, I think that's some great parting advice and, and a message that I think ties in so nicely with some of the discussions we've had over the last few weeks as well, just around being, you know, more real and, and the idea that clients don't necessarily need the the best lawyer on the planet for their particular legal matter. And, and furthermore, how you even define best is, is a moving Compared target. To what? Yeah. Compared to what? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They, they want somebody who can solve their technical problem, be proficient at solving their legal problem. But everything that wraps around that is actually the more important part and, and where you, you guys have done, I think, an amazing job of, uh, you know, innovating and doing doing something really great. So, Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really uh, appreciate you joining us and thank you for a, a great discussion. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. us. <laughs> Time it together. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Boland 
and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. 